Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 117 for November 8th, 2007. Even more perfect paper passwords. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site. Looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit IWantToBeANerd.com. And by listeners like you. Thanks for your support. It's time for Security Now with the even more perfect... The better than ever, Steve Gibson. Hello, Steve Gibson. <laughs> Hello, Leo. Great to talk to you again. We're, this is the even more perfect paper password episode. <laughs> Stephen, we can't go any farther than this. There can never, there cannot be any more perfect paper passwords than this because then even well, more is like it. <laughs> we have had a, a really active two weeks of of amazing, a really amazing think tank work. In actually, the news group is called GRC Think Tank oh, over in the in the news groups. Uh, it's been two weeks since we unveiled the perfect paper passwords system. Uh, it's in version two. I want to talk about what's changed and some really interesting issues have come up and been battled with so this is going to be this is a sort of a propeller head episode not this is technically it's about even more perfect paper passwords but i think people are going to find it really interesting because of some of the sort of edge conditions which uh have come up and we've addressed very cool well uh let's uh, where should we start you want to uh, do anything from previous episodes i don't really have any errata um and the one thing that sue my operations uh manager who's been with me for 20 years um has asked me a couple times to mention and i, and I keep forgetting it is that uh relative to spinrite licenses um she keeps running across companies that aren't aware that we have an enterprise license uh-huh. in, a, in addition to a site license. The idea being that an enterprise license is a multi-site license. And it's really my fault because I don't have anything on our website about the enterprise license. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but yeah, I know. But I can't, I, we, we came up with it because, you know, there were big companies like IBM and others who who really did want a multi-site license, and it didn't make any sense for us to ask them to buy four copies of Spinrite for every one of their sites. So I'm, I'm going to get my pages updated so that I expre- explicitly explain that. But the idea is that any company that wants an enterprise license, that is a multi-site license, where they can use it within their entire organization, what we've done is we've we've divided the world into U.S. and non-U.S. And so and a domestic enterprise license is just 10 copies of Spinrite. And if, oh. uh, if, if a company is maintaining 10 copies of Spinrite at its current version, then they are enterprise licensed and they can use Spinrite anywhere in the U.S. And then we similarly have anywhere outside the U.S. is another 10. So if it's an international company and they want both inside the U.S. and outside, that would be a total of 20 copies, or they could have one or the other, if not both. And um, Can you put this I, on the website? i got to put this on the website. But I, just, you know, <laughs> I can't but, even follow but it. <laughs> Sue's been bugging me because you know, the way we, we have a, you know, an individual can just buy one copy, have one license, then we decided, okay, if someone has four, then that qualifies them as a site license where they can use it on all the machines they've got in a single physical location. And then we said, okay, and if someone has 10, then that 10 copies of Spinrite, then they're able to use it enterprise wide. So I just, I've, I've said it now and I've been promising Sue that I would, I will get this updated on our website so that, you know, people who haven't heard this will know too. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Well, we're going to get to perfect, more perfect 
Even more perfect Even more perfect paper password. I want to thank the folks at Astaro, though, for providing the uh, great wherewithal to do this show. They've been with us for over a year and a half now, and it is really a great company, so I'm glad to have a partnership with them. The Astaro Security Gateway is a complete set of security technologies wrapped up in a little box about the size of a router. But inside, the best of breed open source and commercial software covering all aspects of security. You get email security, including anti-spam, anti-phishing, dual antivirus for email, transparent encryption, even using uh, SSL and, uh, or uh, SMIME, I should say, and uh, OpenPGP standards. You get web filtering for the content, for antivirus for the web, anti-spyware, instant messaging control, peer-to-peer control, and of course, as you'd expect, complete network protection, including firewall, remote access, and VPN and intrusion protection. That VPN now is great. It's IPsec, L2TP over IPsec, and PPTP tunneling with SSL, which makes that very, very easy. It scales. You can get up to 10 gateways uh, together. I mean, this thing is just amazing. I want you to find out more about it. You can try it free, actually. Free demo units in your business by calling 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O. That's 877-427-8276. If you want a complete end-to-end security solution that's easy to set up, easy to maintain, and will protect you from anything the net can throw at you 877-427-8276 or visit astaro.com slash security now we do thanks astara for their great support for security now even more even more perfect (laughs) well i just realized that i could have talked about something that i want to definitely talk about before and put it in the errata uh, section, although it's really not errata, I want to start first, before we get into even more perfect paper passwords, um, bringing people up to speed on some really cool news from VeriSign. Um, I FedExed one to you, which you received yesterday. There is a new form factor for the the six-digit one-time password um, authentication solutions offered by VeriSign. Does this replace um, the uh, keychain fob thing? Yes, and there's even better news, Leo. Their VeriSign's back-end server system was recently updated to allow the simultaneous testing of fi- up to five tokens, five, five hardware credentials, and PayPal supports it. Oh! <gasps> So and I've already done it and it works. So I can you lose can, the fob. Yes. Well, a you can lose the fob, or you can register multiple fobs, or or this new thing. And we didn't really describe it yet. What they've done is they've got, I mean, an absolutely uh, credit card perfect form factor. It's the size of a credit card. There's no lumps or bumps. I mean, it's an amazing little piece of technology. Um, it's got a, actually it's an eight digit e-ink window. So it uses e-ink that, you know, you and I are, are fans of w- with a Sony reader and other readers coming in the future. So it uses no power. It has a three year warranty from VeriSign. It's more expensive than the FOB from PayPal, which remember, because PayPal was was um, supporting its adoption, that was only five dollars from PayPal. Right. Uh, but so I think it's like forty eight dollars from Verisign. But the convenience um, compared to the the fob, you uh, could stick this oh, right in your wallet. It's well, tiny. that's just it. I mean, you know, I I have my wallet in my back pocket, and so it's with me whenever I have my pants on, which is you know pretty much <laughs> pretty much all the time i hope so more often than i would like but um and so you know i mean it's always with me it's no longer you know a blob on my key ring and so so this for example works with open id works with um ebay works with paypal and any other people who are part of this verisign identity protection back end so the the url and we'll have it on our show notes also for people who are interested in just like seeing it, it's idprotect, I-D-P-R-O-T-E-C-T dot verisign, V-E-R-I-S-I-G-N dot com. idprotect dot verisign dot com will take you to the page where you see both what I call the football, uh, the original football fob token credential dongle thingy, um, and this really new credit card. But because their server can simultaneously test for five, up to five, 
for example, on my PayPal account, I've got my original PayPal credential and also this credit card gizmo, um, both registered as PayPal authentication. So, for example, that allows me to to keep my because my own physical environment here where I'm working is secure. I can keep the little football guy here, you know, next to me on my desk and have the credit card in my wallet. So if I'm ever out and about or I'm using my laptop at a Starbucks or something, I'm still able to use PayPal using that very cool form factor, this this credit card form factor, and at the same time, still have access to the little football. So I could use either one. Either one would work. Exactly. Honey. Now, how do I tell? Uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm, this is a little it, it, personal. It's in support. there. Yeah. It, <laughs> how do I tell it? it? <laughs> it's in there. I stumbled around uh, in PayPal, but it's you know it's under security key you can and add an additional security key, basically. Yes, and it shows you. I mean, it says on the UI, you know, remove one, add one. I think you can disable one. It's got a whole nice little UI of like things you can do, and it'll it'll give you up to five that you're simultaneously able to register. And this all uses the VeriSign on the back end. I also should mention that I mentioned, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, that I'd, I'd never heard back from VeriSign on their uh, pursuit of allowing uh, me to play with their API uh, for, for doing this back end authentication because I just sort of wanted to see what it was like. Um, they uh, have, have provided since all of the documentation for their API. And I have to say, I mean, I, I haven't yet had a chance to bring it up to speed, but I'm going to because I, I, I want to actually use it and, and get the experience of talking to their backend servers. But I've looked at the protocol extensively, and it is as clean as it could possibly be from a privacy standpoint. That is, you know, they're collecting no information they don't need. There's no user identification in there. It's just the the, essentially the serial number of the token, and you say, here's a serial number of the token, here's the current display being showed by the token, is this valid or not? So, I mean, it's just, it, it's it's absolutely, absolutely clean. That's so I'm, great. I'm, well, thank you for sending me one. I didn't realize you were that expensive. I re, I, I appreciate this. I, well, they, they actually sent me two. Oh, good. Uh, okay. So, so uh, and then I got a couple more because I actually think that, I will use this in addition to the perfect paper password system for GRC's authentication. I, I want to, I'm going to implement it and give it a try and, and you know, get a sense for how it works. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I can't wait. I'm going to figure out how to do this right now. So, oh, I mean, there you, you add yourself to, to PayPal, and now you've got, as you said, you've got that in your wallet. And again, as this spreads, I mean, it's an open ID authentication because it'll, it's completely compatible right, with the whole, right. you know, um, the PIP, the, uh, the pip.verisignlabs.com open ID system that we've talked about before as well. Now, I have to add it, I guess, to my PIP account as well. Uh, I'll figure that probably, out. Probably. Yeah. 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 Cool. So I wanted to bring people up to speed on that. We're, we're moving ahead with this system. That's really great. Yeah, it really is evolving nicely. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to see Okay, it. so even more perfect paper passwords. Even more, ladies. Even more, ladies and gentlemen. They couldn't <laughs> be any better. You thought, no, yes, they're even more. Perfect. Well, first of all, we are at version two, mm-hmm. and the algorithm has changed. Oh, now why the is al- that? Well, because I realized that the, the 128 bits that I was using to add to the input of the Rheindahl cipher was buying us almost no additional security. Oh. It was completely dumb. Why is that? Um, well, what happened was, okay, just to refresh users' memories, um, we, the, the, the system has a, a 384-bit key. Yeah. 384 is 128 plus 256. The 256 bits of the key are used to directly key the Rheindahl cipher. So that's the, that, that's the key that goes into the cipher that scrambles things. The other 128 bits I was adding to a counter, and that was the data. The result of that addition was the data which was going into the Rheindahl cipher, and the output of that cipher was then where we got the the um, the perfect paper password passcodes. So 
someone posted um I, I I was I, I made a posting saying, gee, I wonder whether it would have been better to use an XOR than an ad, because then the bits would be scrambled around rather than just being being um creating an a, an offset. Well the person correctly pointed out that it really didn't matter. Neither of those um, were better or worse than the other because since it was a cipher, if you had a collection of passcodes, you could that are that are 24 bits each. You could assemble them back into one of the 128 bit blocks of the Rindall cipher and decrypt that back into what was put in. And if you took two of those in succession, then what would come out would be the counter's value or the XOR value that was just differed by one bit. In other words, it it really provided no additional security. You could essentially trivially reverse engineer what the counter value was and what those 128 bits were. So so essentially, it would require you to do two operations rather than one. So adding 128 bits only doubled the strength, like having one more bit of key. Hmm. But here we had 128 bits more. So I thought, this guy's absolutely right. That was a dumb thing to do. Let's get rid of it now. This Before is why, this- by the way, I think in security, peer review is so valuable. Oh, it's it, absolutely. It, it, it helps so much to have multiple people looking at the same thing. And in fact, yeah. you know, that's been the way the last couple of weeks have been spent is in just amazingly in, interesting dialogues with with people over on the GRC news groups, really, you know, pounding on this and ha- and hashing it around. And, you know, I just, you know, yes, I could have left it alone, but um it just, you know, when I realized that 128 bits being added to the input really wasn't buying us. I mean, it was buying us one bit worth of additional security, essentially. I just thought, okay, let's get rid of this right now before this goes any further. So we created version two, which is, you know, substantially cleaner. Essentially, the the 128-bit counter now just feeds directly into Rindall. The sequence key is just the Rindall key. We take the output from the Rindall cipher, which is 128 bits, group those in sets of, of 24 bits, each of which is a passcode. So, I mean, it's, it's cleaner than it was. And, you know, and, and someone might say, oh, well, but you made it only half as strong. And it's like, yes, but 256 bits is way more than we ever needed. I mean, you could argue many people feel that 128 bits on a symmetric cipher is already secure enough because because the number of possible combinations, you know, literally goes up exponentially. You know, every time you add a bit, you double the strength. And when you've done that 128 times, you're already up there way high. So we're going further just because, you know, it's why not? It's convenient to 256 bits, which is just phenomenally uncrackable so there was just you know there's i like just, that phenomenally uncrackable phenomenally uncrackable <laughs> there just was no reason to leave it the way it was yeah okay so the other thing that has happened is in this last two weeks since the the introduction of perfect paper passwords is we've had a really gratifying reaction from people implementing their own open source solutions We've got and and they're all listed and we'll I'll be maintaining a list of this as this continues to grow over in the other PPP software page. There's a, Anyone, a link right at the bottom that says additional implement or additional software or something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, there there's a set of pages that shows the algorithm, the implementation, usage, notion, everything. Every one of those pages has a little link block at the bottom, and and so it's page six at the moment. Other other PPP software, but we've got, for example, open source implementations in C. Uh, we, 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 I think we mentioned before that there was going to be a Mac OS X PAM, a pluggable authentication module, um, and that's done. And also for Linux, people are using it to log into Macs and Linux machines uh, over SSH, you know, uh, the secure shell login and being prompted for passcodes. Oh, that's neat. That's so, so I mean, neat. it's done and it's working and a bunch of people have, have been using it. We've, it's, we've got um, an open source implementation of Windows 
Uh, also, several other for Unix. If there's there's one written in for, for PHP, and there are some PHP test pages where you can where, where you're able to to get pass cards and log in using PHP. All of this is open source. There's a .NET wrapper around my DLL that I provided. So so people who are using C Sharp and .NET platform from Microsoft are able to use it. Um, there's a complete implementation in Java that is in, in the in the language Java so that so that if someone were Java centric then they they could do the authentication, uh print the uh pass cards and everything. And there's one uh, coming in Perl that's not yet available. So I speaking of Perl, I got an email from Randall Schwartz, who's a Perl guru and a security guy, and uh, is on a cruise right now, so he's not listening at the moment. But he asked, "Is this anything like S key, which has been implemented in BSD for a while? In fact, actually, has been kind of deprecated in BSD for a while. Same idea. Well, Do you, are you familiar with it? Did they talk about this at all in the forums? Um, no, I ha- I haven't heard of it. I've heard of S key. It's a but... one-time password system for authentication. Similar, I guess. Of course, we did talk about OPIE, the, the, the one-time password. I can't even remember what the acronym stands for, but OPIE is a one-time password system that's available in, all over on FreeBSD. Right. And it, it uses a, a very different scheme where they've got a vocabulary of 2,048, uh, 2, that is to say 11 bits worth, 2,048 short real lang- real English words, and then they choose six of those, and that's your one-time key. Oh, interesting. And, huh. and so it's six different actual English language words. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it, it's a nice solution, although uh, it ends up, of course, being much more bulky than, than the PPP system. One of the things that people have really liked and reacted positively to is that we're just using these cute little four-character passcodes easy to in order. remember but you carry it in your wallet i love that well, yeah. exactly and you know a little credit card size printout right. will hold 70 of them right. um and in fact i i modified the printout page since our first um podcast to to bring them closer together so you could either cut them out as individual cards or it's now easy to cut them out as a as I like like a three high card, which you then fold inwards to to create like, like just as just sort of a little a little booklet of of three cards, and by folding them inwards, you conceal what they are um, from you know like as long as it's folded together, no one can see what the codes are. Because mm-hmm. there were some people who said, "Wait a minute, you know, what if someone took a picture right, of, of your right. card?" Well, you know, it's like that's absolutely true. That I mean, it's certainly the case that there are trade-offs associated with a printed pass card um, that you don't have with a one-time, you know, token, which is only showing you the the currently valid code every time you press the button. You know, it's it's definitely the case that you have those sorts of trade-offs. But th- this is zero hardware, no batteries to run down, and it's just an it's you know it's it's a nice solution. So. We have a, a large array now of open source implementations, and just Googling perfect paper passwords around the net, I've seen a lot of adoption happening. There's SSL Explorer that, that's in the process of, 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 of getting it, and, and it's all over the place. Well, that's so really it's, neat, Steve. You must be very gratified. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's cool because it's a solution that, I, of course, I came up for us and I want to also, I do plan to be offering it in some future remote authentication applications. Now, one really interesting point was raised, which became known as the Peabody dilemma. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> because, because <laughs> someone, someone whose handle is Peabody, yeah. he said, you know, um, I really like the idea and the whole system and this notion of, of random passwords. But if they're random, then they're really not one time because two of them could be next to each other. That is, you know, you could have there's, – there's nothing to prevent you from, from – if every single one is random – and the chances of any particular one being one in two to the twenty-fourth power, which is to say one in sixteen million seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand two hundred and sixteen, then 
there's that chance, one in 16 plus million, that you'll have two passwords the same right next to each other. Okay. So, so how is that one time? And it's like, uh, well, that's true. Yeah. It's, you know, our, our use is, is, you know, one time use, the idea being that it's changing every time. But he said, okay, but it's not really changing every time. It's changing most of the time. <laughs> like a lot of most of the time, but okay. Oh, yeah, like, exactly. Like, I mean, you know, you know you're like, you know, there's one in 16 million chance. But, but then, you know, as you increase the window, as you say, not just the one just before, but maybe the one two before or three before. Yeah, or four that's before. true. Then it goes up. Sure. Then the probability, because, well, and, and you sort of get into a little bit of sort of like the birthday. Oh, um, yeah, right. The, the birthday paradox. Okay, so that sent us off on a really interesting tangent for for quite a while because, you know, he had a point. And, and here was the point. Um, it really doesn't matter if an attacker has no knowledge, that is someone trying to attack the system has no knowledge of prior passcodes right. because every one of them is going to be random and in, there's only a 1 in 16.77 plus million chance of an attacker ever guessing correctly. Right. But, but Peabody made the point that, okay, but keystroke logging is one of the things we're trying to prevent against. Right. That is, the reason we do this is that we know that one possible bad thing that could happen would be keystroke loggers who, are, who don't know about the PPP system, but they see somebody log in with, with their username and their secret password and their PPP code. And now they have it. And there's one in 2.6 million chances it'll work the next time. Well, exactly. Yeah. And so his point was that, that wouldn't a true one-time password system be more secure in the, in the presence of keystroke logging than a random password system? Yes. And he's right. It would he's he's absolutely right. <laughs> right. And and so so then we said, okay, well wait a minute now. What does that mean? Well, if we had a a one a true one time password system where no password could ever occur a second time, then a couple things happen. First of all, in the in the face of somebody with perfect knowledge, as we've talked about before, somebody who, for example, was recording everything you did. They, they would not know what the next password was, but in knowing what all of the ones that had come before were, if they knew that they were never going to happen ah, again. They'd reduce the set. Yes, it, 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 exactly. It allows them to, to know never to guess anything that you'd already seen because the system was designed never to allow that to happen again. So you're right. It reduces the set, and so I mean, but not a lot. But again, it 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 is it is it is shortening up the number of possible passwords that they could choose between. Now again, we're, we've got sixteen million seven hundred seventy-seven thousand two hundred sixteen. So even if you recorded all of the last eight million of them, well, you'd still have another eight million to choose from. So. Uh, which again is is a lot of strength, and I'll remind everybody that that's still eight times more strength than any of the hardware dongles have, because right. they're just one million possible combinations, because they're just six decimal digits, right. you know, zero 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 to nine 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 nine. But the but the point was an interesting one. So so the reason we have duplicates and this is sort of an interesting aspect of this is if we if we if we had passcodes that used all 128 bits of our cipher remember that we have a counter which is incrementing and it's never decrementing it's only going upwards so every value in that counter we have a 128 bit counter which goes into the Rindall cipher and out comes another very different 128 bits and what we know is that every single counter value 
will map into a different output. So those never repeat. That is, the 128 bits never, never, never repeats. But the reason we get repetition is we're only using a chunk of those at a time. We're only using 24 bits out of the 128, and then we're using the next 24 bits and the next 24 bits sort of going along Mm. those 128. And so the idea is we can get repetition because, because we're using 24 bits, and it might be that another output from the cipher would arrive where we would have the same little chunk that of 24 bits that we'd seen somewhere else, even though all the other ones out of the entire 128-bit cipher were unique. So that's guaranteed. So what this means is if we wanted to have a true one-time password system, then we would we would need a 24-bit block cipher. That is, we would need a 24-bit counter feeding into a 24-bit cipher, which mapped that into, essentially permuted those 2 to the 24 into an entirely different set of 2 to the 24 combinations. That would give us a one-time password system. But the problem with that is that 2 to the 24 isn't a huge number from the standpoint of like recording them all. That is, you know, 2 to the 24 is 16 million, as we know, 16 million passcodes. Well, we can store that in RAM. I mean, we could, you know, 16 million would be what, 64 megabytes, or no, even it would be um, uh, not even 64 megabytes, 48 megabytes, because it's three bytes per. Mm-hmm. So, so it's possible to make a table which we start filling in of these things. The reason that, that, I mean, the specific reason that ciphers have larger block lengths nowadays, that is, you know, 64 is considered very strong, 32 is no longer strong enough because there just aren't that, you know, it's possible to to build a table of the inputs and the outputs from a 32-bit block length cipher and, and begin to attack it that way, a so-called electronic codebook attack where you actually record the outputs because we've got enough RAM to do that. We don't have enough RAM when you talk about 64 bits or certainly not 128 bits. There are just too many of them. So we really do want a, a large block-length cipher, and, but, 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 but that means if we're not going to have passcodes which use all of those 128 bits, we're going to have repetition. And so we went back and forth, had some really great discussions about, okay, what does this mean? You know, well, um, and, and I proposed a couple schemes for like going back in time, for example, and it, you don't really have to verify that you've never seen the passcode before, but because the presence of the possibility of keystroke logging it, it the, the idea that, that an attacker might use passcodes you had recently used, wouldn't it be worthwhile then to make sure you don't have um, repetitions within sort of like within the near term, like within the last 250 passcodes, for say, for, for example, that you you hadn't already used those. So I so I said, well, OK, what, what if we went back and we looked at. The prior 250 passcodes, and if the one, if the next passcode was going to be a duplicate, we add one to each of its bytes, turning it into something different, just to sort of like brute force a a, a non-local repetition of passcodes. Well, the problem with that, it was pointed out, is that if you're going to do that, then in order to know what the hundred, what those 250 were before. You've got to look at the 250 before them, and the 250 before them, and the 250 before them. In other words, you would always have to go from the very beginning and make sure that you had no repetitions. So it ends up sort of being recursive and not feasible to do this. So anyway, we had some really interesting discussions of this notion of the the difference between 
true one-time passwords and basically um, random passwords, which is clearly what this this the the PPP system is is random right, passwords. Right, right. But one thing that came out of this is the notion then that not all keys, not all sequence keys are created equal. That is, you could spend some time looking at random sequence keys until you found a better one. You might, you might look at a sequence key and sort of basically run the codes on it for the first 100,000 codes. And if you, if you happen to get one with lots of close duplicate passcodes, just say, ah, we don't like that one. And pull another random one and check it. Well, it turns out that that that's what I have ended up liking to do. I, which, this is not going to be part of the perfect password system, but for example, um, perfect paper passwords rather. Um, but for example, when when I do this for for our keys for my GRC employees, and when I implement this in in my own use of this system in our commercial authentication product that that is is coming downstream there's no reason it seems to me not to spend a little time up front some in in terms of computing time and we're only talking you know four or five seconds probably just to not grab the first sequence key that comes out of our random sequence key generator but you know grab i don't know look at a hundred or a thousand of them and scan them to see and, and to, to, to see if there's one that's better than another. Because the point is, yes, in, in the case of an attacker who has no knowledge of prior passcodes, then random is, is absolutely good, and random is what we've got. But because the world has keystroke loggers, that biases the attacks a little bit toward reuse right and reuse is something we'd rather not have so there's no reason not to choose sequence keys which for the first you know for the first likely span of passcodes you know a hundred thousand passcodes don't have any repeats and i've done the research and it turns out it is very possible to find passcodes actually i i looked for the first 200,000 turns out that there's lots of sequence keys that have zero repeats in the first 200,000 passcodes and so we get the best oh, of both worlds good idea yeah simple thing yeah. to do yeah it's very simple and if it now not, you generate a new set until you find one that does Exactly. It turns out you don't have to look very long. Uh, I, I did it by hand, and I found a bunch um, just by hand. Well, I didn't check 200,000 passcodes, but, but, but I've, I've altered my code to check it. Right. And what I like about that is that, that sequence keys are issued rarely. That is, they're issued infrequently, and they're used for a long time. So it makes sense. I mean, it's economically feasible to spend some compute time up front to to develop this notion of better and worse sequence keys and choose one, for example, where in the first 200,000 passcodes, there's zero duplicates. Turns out there's lots of those. Mm -hmm. And so why not use one? And then you solve the problem of keystroke logging. You get the equivalent of a one-time password system within a a reasonable horizon of passcodes. I mean, 200,000 passcodes is going to last a long time, no matter how much, you know, how often you use them. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. And, 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 and we still end up with this notion of, you know, they're actually being chosen at random, even though, again, if a, if a, an attacker had perfect knowledge of the fact that we had chosen a good key, they would know not to guess any, that we had already chosen, but again, that that presumes somebody has access to every passcode you've ever used, and even if they did, the 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 possible the possible universe of still unused passcodes is still bigger than fifteen million. Yeah. So you haven't really lost any power. And how did Peabody feel about all this? Well, he likes it. <laughs>
It was funny, too, because he was making the point over and over and over, and everyone was telling him, no, 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 they're random, they're random, don't worry about it, you know, they're random. But but what I liked about his point was, he said, yes, but but we know that keystroke loggers exist, and so what we're trying to prevent against is reuse, and so, you know, why not prevent them from being reused? It's like, that's better than random. Yeah. He's right. That's yeah. better than random. And as it turned out, I mean, the, the simple solution that you came up with gets the job done, and there you go. Well, I like it, again, from an economic standpoint. It To me, it makes sense to spend some time, and we're only talking a few seconds because all this is very fast, spend some time to find the best sequence key you can right. where best means no repetitions within a certain length of time or, you know, not near repetitions, you know, n- not not two or three passcodes apart, but maybe at least 50 or something. Or, 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 and, and what I should say is that I found many where there were no repetitions within 250 passcodes in a horizon of 200,000 passcodes. That is, looking that far down in the future, you never saw any repetitions within 250. So it's like, okay, that's, you know, we're really, really safe. Yeah, good enough. Now, one thing that I mentioned erroneously generated a lot of mail two weeks ago. I talked about the idea of skipping passcodes, that is, skipping forward. And, um, uh, and I don't even really remember what I said, but I must have said something like somehow the system would automatically skip forward. Many because many people commented that that would that could allow a denial of service attack on the perfect paper password system because an attacker could force you like could could force the the next passcode like far enough ahead that the user would know would run out of passcodes and would no longer have them. So I, I misspoke when I said that. That was never really my intention. I certainly would only um, uh, my my original notion was that you'd have to have the username and the secret password and the passcode all all correct, obviously in order to authenticate. And that if maybe if only the passcode was incorrect then under some circumstances you would move forward well again we hashed this around in in the news groups a lot and came up with what i think is a very nice solution one of the problems of four letter words is uh i mean four letter words is is you know in, in english language at least is a is a is is recognized slang for for words that are not popular or should not be used in polite conversation you know like four uh-huh, letter words uh-huh yes so a bunch of them well so imagine a system leo where you are being asked to enter a four letter word that makes you uncomfortable <laughs> that's right i mean it could happen it could easily happen it could easily happen well yes i mean in fact every one of the four every one of the possible four letter words that that exists could occur because we're just choosing four-letter things at random. Now, one person, I mean, this had been discussed before uh, before we even talked about it. Like someone said, well, what about eliminating vowels? Then that would make it hard. It's like, well, okay. But, but in general, eliminating vowels meant that we had to then use more strange characters, which might be difficult to find or, or you know, you might not have on a cell phone, for example. So... So I decided that there was it, it, the system to be, you know, user friendly ought to not force someone to enter the next four letter word if they just didn't feel comfortable for for whatever reason typing it into a a computer screen. Yeah. Yeah. So so the idea You can't prevent them from seeing it. You can't prevent them from seeing it. I don't think it makes sense to like have a dictionary no. of all possible <laughs> no. offensive four-letter words and and search even longer for for sequence keys that where none of those occur. That that seems like overkill. Um, so so the idea would be if you're presented with a word that you don't want to enter, or for example, someone's got a an inkjet printer that's on the fritz and, and they can't read one of the characters. I mean that was the idea of allowing 
people to move forward was, you know, what if for whatever reason you could not read a passcode or, you know, your 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 pass card of of 70 past codes went through the wash right. by mistake right. and it's you know it's no longer legible the idea was you want to be able to obsolete and move forward so the 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 solution turned out to be simple that is normally you're being prompted for the next pass code if for whatever reason you either don't want to enter it or you can't enter it or for example say that you think maybe that your whole set of three cards, your past cards, may have been um, compromised. Somebody may, mm. you have some reason, please, someone may have seen them. Well, you want to be able to immediately obsolete them all. Right, right, right. So the idea is, normally the, the server says, here's the card and row and column of the next passcode, please enter it. But you always have the option of saying, no, I want to tell you which one I'm going to enter. Ah, perfect. That's perfect. all there is. That, yeah. Well, see, there's my favorite word, Leo. Perfect. You've just used <laughs> Even more perfect. So all you have to do is say no. You, you, you always have the option of saying no. I want to tell you which one I want to sure. enter. Then it, it gives you a second form with, with the pass card number, the, the row and column as, as blanks that you can fill in right. rather than them being pre-filled for you. Um, and... Um, you simply, the only limitation is you have to move forward, obviously. We never want to allow the user to move backwards because that would no longer then be perfect. So all they're able to skip over the, the next code, the next five codes, the next line, the next card. You know, the, As long as they move forward from where they were being prompted before, no problem. That advances their pointer. They enter the code that corresponds to that at the same time. And that authenticates them. Very nice. Very, very nice. So it ended up being a really nice solution. There were a couple of people who said, you know, for cell phone entry, um, these these funny characters that we've used oh, in the 64. Those, yes. those could yeah. be tricky. Um, needless to say, on an iPod or uh, on an iTouch or iPhone, getting some of those can be a little, a little, little tricky, too. So someone said, you know. You're using 24 bits, so so you're using six bits for four characters. I'm going to use four bits for six characters. In other words, um, oh, they, okay. he just, so you get the he, same strength. You get the same strength. You eliminate some of the characters that you can't type. Well, of course, four bits is hex. Ah. So so you know zero through nine, A, B, C, D, right. E, and F. Right. And 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 it, it's, it's funny too because he said, you know, even though it's counterintuitive, um, there are people who will think that a six-character token, as that as a six-character passcode, is more secure than a four-character passcode, even though the four characters has the same bit strength because there's, you know, there are sixty-four characters per position rather than sixteen. He's like, he's absolutely correct that it's the same strength. It's like, okay, well, you know, certainly an implementation like that works the same. It's just as strong. And I could see, for example, in, in cell phone authentication, it might make sense. Or in, in applications where you don't have access to the full alphabet, yeah, that could make sense. Six characters isn't a big deal anyway. Yep. I mean, beep, yep. Beep, 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 you do eight characters for a phone number. So I think that's great. That's a very clever way to do it. Yep. You know, and I think people love about this is the is the and this is what's great about programming is the problem and then the solution, the challenge of figuring out the solution. And uh, and it's really kind of an intellectual exercise. It's just enjoyable. Yeah. And we've had a lot of fun over the last two weeks. And I wanted to share with our listeners the the Peabody dilemma. <laughs> and, and, and and it was really funny, too, because, I mean, for a long time, he was taking a lot of heat because everyone was saying, look, you can't do better than random. And it's like, but. In the you know that's true if the attacker had no knowledge of the past, but if the attacker has knowledge of the past, then you can do better than random right. by explicitly eliminating the codes that have come before. Right. You know why not? Yep. And so we looked at algorithms to do that, and just ended up settling on this notion of okay, not all sequence keys are created equal. There are better ones. And since you only need to create it once, and then you get to use it probably for months or years, why not take a little time to find a good one? 
And so that's how we ended up with even more perfect paper passwords <laughs> and 256-bit sequence keys now down from 384, eliminating those 128 bits that really weren't buying us any additional strength. Are the third-party implementations, do they um, incorporate your modifications or are these... Yep, they're all up to version 2 now. Oh, that's cool. Yep. That's great. Well, you've done it again, Steve. Another <laughs> fascinating episode. I want to remind everybody this uh, podcast is brought to you by the great nerds on site. Yes, the same kinds of people who listen to this podcast, who love solving problems, who love going into a client's office and saying, let's fix that. Let's make it work better. That's nerds on site. They're looking for nerds with skills in every area you can imagine, not just PC and Mac, but Cisco, Oracle, Fix-It folks, website designers, programmers, project managers, even sales, trainers, security experts, antivirus gurus. You're an independent contractor, you stay an independent contractor. You're in business for yourself, but you're not by yourself. You get to focus on what you love, not the burdens of running the business. They really help you get it done right. They're in seven nations. I'm I'm sorry, eight nations now. Canada, U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, Bolivia, and Singapore. And growing all the time. Plus, you get to tune up your skills. They uh, not only get a site license for SpinRight, but uh, you can also get certification for the Astaro Security Gateway and other security gateways. Um, all sorts of topics, 250 different competencies in their University of Nerdology. So you tune up your set your skills, you get your business growing, you get the work done, you get to do what you love. Nerds on site. Look, just find out about it by going to a, a free informational nerds-only meeting in your area today. Just go to IWantToBeANerd.com. Actually, you don't have to go anywhere. It's, it's online. IWantToBeANerd.com. Register for that meeting and find out more about what nerds on site can do for your business. I want to be a nerd.com. We do thank Nerds on Site for their support of Security Now. For uh, 16 kilobit versions of this podcast, for transcripts, for details, for show notes, for implementations of the even more perfect password system, you go to grc.com. That's the place. grc.com slash security now for the show notes. grc.com for all of Steve's free programs that are so great to help you with your security, everything from Shields up to Shoot the messenger and decombobulator and and uh, and his perfect password implementation too. I forgot, almost forgot. Also, uh, of course, don't forget Spinrite. Can't forget that. Everybody's favorite disk recovery and maintenance utility. That's from grc.com. Steve, we've wrapped up another episode of Perfect Passwords. Even more. It, even more Perfect Passwords. And we will do a uh, one of our fun Q&A episodes next week and, uh, and then move forward into other topics. All right. I really appreciate it, Steve. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Leo. Security now.